0: Charles Tabb, the ABI resident scholar and the Jones Chair in Law at the University of Illinois. On today's podcast, we are very pleased to welcome Senator Richard Durbin, the senior senator from my home state of Illinois and the assistant majority leader of the Senate. Senator Durbin is a longtime champion of fiscal and bankruptcy reform. Senator Durbin, along with Senators Warren and Reed, you have been leading the way in the Senate in trying to address the problem exploding student loan debt, which astonishingly now exceeds $1 trillion and exceeds credit card debt. I know I speak for everyone here at the American Bankruptcy Institute and all of those listening to this program in thanking you for taking the time to discuss this very pressing social and economic problem with us today also in thanking you for taking the initiative in pursuing a legislative agenda to make a difference for the millions of Americans struggling with crushing student debt burdens. To give our audience a sense of the multi-layered legislative agenda you are sponsoring, you have three pending bills dealing with student loan debt that you have either introduced or have co-sponsored. First, a year ago, you introduced S114, the Fairness for Struggling Students Act of 2013, which would repeal the bankruptcy discharge exception for private student loan debts that was added in 2005. Then on December 11th, you introduced S-1803, the Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights, which seeks to implement six critical basic rights for student loan borrowers. And that will be the focus of uh, our podcast today. And finally, on December 19th, you co sponsored a bill introduced by Senator Reed, S. 1873, the Protect Student Borrowers Act of 2013, which seeks to protect student borrowers by requiring institutions of higher education to assume some of the financial risks of default. Senator Durbin, before we look more closely at your bills, and especially the Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights, Let's take a moment to think about how we as a country got into this very unfortunate situation with regard to student loan debt. So, Senator, in in your opinion, what happened to cause this crisis? How did this come about?
1: I think there are several factors here. And many people who have not taken out student loans personally or for a member of the family for years may not be aware of what has happened in the last, oh, say, ten or uh, so years when it comes to student loans as you mentioned at the outset uh... the volume of student loan debt across america has grown exponentially now greater than credit card debt uh, we know that some forty million american families are affected directly by student loan debt today and seventy percent of the students now in higher education are taking out loans now loans for college are a relatively new phenomena After World War II, we created the GI Bill to give uh, the returning vets an opportunity to go to school. It may have been one of the smartest things we ever did for America's future. Then, uh, in 1958, when the uh, Soviets launched, launched Sputnik, Congress, uh, in a fit of paranoia, said, we've got to do something fast. We need to educate the engineers and students to lead America and fight uh, the communist. So we created the National Defense Education Act. I know a little bit about it. That's how I paid for my college and law school. You borrowed the money, paid 3% interest, started paying a year after you graduated, and paid it off in 10 years. That was basically the approach many of us used to get through college and and graduate and professional education. And then fast forward to where we are today. Higher education has been democratized, uh, and that's a good thing for America. It isn't just uh, the sons and daughters of alumna who have an opportunity to go to school. Uh, It's many people for the first time in their families, first-generation college students. So more and more students in higher education and the costs of higher education are going up dramatically. In the state of Illinois and many other states, state support for public universities has been cut, meaning more and more money has to be paid by the students and their families, meaning deeper debt. Now add this brand-new element, which has become insidious, the for-profit colleges and universities. Uh, I always say to people, if you want to know what the problem is, you only need to know three numbers. If you know these three numbers, you know why for-profit schools are such a a burden on our economy and many families. The first number is 10. 10% of high school grads go to for-profit colleges and universities. The second number, 20 For-profit colleges and universities receive 20% of the federal aid to education, more than twice of what you think they might receive with 10% of the students. But the last figure is the most important one, 47. 47% of all student loan defaults relate to for-profit colleges and universities. These for-profit schools, some of which may be good, but most of which are awful, are luring kids deeply into debt, watching them drop out of school with a debt, uh, finding them uh, ending up with diplomas that are virtually worthless, and then basically when they default on their student loans, stuck with a debt, which people who follow bankruptcy know is not dischargeable since 2005. Put all these factors together, and that's where we are today.
0: That's that's horrible developments I wanted to ask you, what is the risk to our country overall, as well as, of course, to the particular individuals struggling with student loan debt, if we do not do something and soon, to make some fundamental changes in the system?
1: Try to imagine that you're 19 or 20 years old and you're trying to make a decision about whether you're going to stay in college or enroll in college. You've been told throughout your life, this is the key to success, and the key to your future. You're seated across the desk from an admissions expert at a school who says, now, if you want to start classes on Tuesday, and we sure hope you do, you'd be a great student at this college, you need to sign these loans, loan forms, so that you can borrow the money to go to school. Well, the natural inclination of a student and that student's family is, for goodness sakes, do it. Go into debt because, ultimately, a college degree means you have more earning power. The problem we're running into is that students and their families many times are getting more deeply in debt than they can possibly imagine. Decisions made when you're 19, 20, 21 years of age end up haunting you for a lifetime if you're dealing with a non-dischargeable student loan debt. Let me tell you one story that I think tells, tells it all in, in personal terms. It's about a young lady named Hannah Moore. Hannah Moore uh, is in the Chicago suburbs, came to one of my press conferences, She's a smart young lady and decided she'd start her college education in community colleges where it's affordable, and she did. And then after two years, she said, it's time for me to move up. She made a fatal error. She went to a for-profit school, the Harrington College of Design. At the end of the day, she ended up with a so-called degree from this Harrington College of Design and a student loan debt of $124,000, and she couldn't find a job. She's now reached a point in her early 30s where there isn't much future for her. She can't buy a house. She can't afford a car. Her father came out of retirement to help her repay her student loans. You know, you look at this situation and say, what did Hannah do wrong here? Well, she picked a school that ended up giving her an education that was worthless and dramatically expensive. And that's the problem we face across America. We are ruining the lives of young people and many families with this student loan crisis.
0: Senator, I wanted to follow up on that by asking you what you see as the biggest problems regarding our student loan debt, and then specifically how your legislation that you have introduced would seek to address those problems.
1: Well, first, let's understand there are different loans that you can take out as a student. Mm -hmm. If you take out a federal government loan, you end up taking out a loan that, frankly, you can work with later in life. The payments that you'll make on that loan are kind of based on your income. So if you start off with a job that doesn't pay as well, your burden in paying back the loan is going to be less. Secondly, if you decide to go in certain professions and occupations, teaching, nursing, there's loan forgiveness. There are opportunities to consolidate your loan. There are ways to reduce the interest rates through consolidation. So it's a flexible government loan program now let's go into the dark world of private loans it's totally different it basically is going to subject you if you're having trouble paying off your loan to the worst of the collection agencies and frankly some options which are awful hannah and other students like her found themselves unable to pay off their private loans and as a consequence forbearance and, and other things they turn to, the loan's mushroomed in size. And frankly, there's no insight to bringing this uh, loan to final payment. So that is the reality of what they are facing, the dramatic difference between the government loan with its flexibility and the private loan that is virtually ruthless through organizations like Sally Mae.
0: Let's, uh, I'd like to look at uh, the uh, Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights, the Obviously, as you've been describing, the whole student loan uh, problem is very multifaceted. It's very complex. I'm interested in, uh, firstly, how you identified uh, the particular strategies uh, that you're pursuing uh, in the uh, Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights, uh, and then would invite you to talk about which of those uh, rights you feel are the most pressing uh, and most important.
1: Let me go back to my Hannah Moore story. Turns out when Hannah at this Harrington College of Design, a for profit school in Chicago, decided to take out her loans, they steered her to private loans hannah was eligible for government loans and as i've described earlier those government loans lower interest rates more flexibility they steered her away into the private loan world so the first thing we say is in the student loan borrower bill of rights you have to tell the student that they have options and tell them their eligibility for government loans the difference in the loans that they might take out now some people listening to this might say come on you know it's time to act like an adult if you make a bad decision you ought to live with it understand what we're talking about here young people and their families with no exposure to this kind of debt who may not know the difference between these loans the student loan uh, borrower bill of rights which i've introduced with my colleagues elizabeth warren and, and uh, jack reed of uh, rhode island barbara boxer and kirsten Gillibrand of new york basically says inform the student of their options when it comes to loans make sure that they know who their servicer is, who are they going to work with to pay off these loans, some consistency in how monthly payments are applied. We found students, and Hannah's a good example, that we had to intervene because they were basically taking her payments and, and applying those to certain loans which, frankly, weren't to her benefit, that, frankly, making the hole even deeper for her to get out of. We also believe there ought to be fairness, Grace periods, when loans are transferred, or debt cancellation, when the borrower dies or becomes disabled, and accountability for timely resolution of errors and certification of private loans. These uh, situations, I think anyone following bankruptcy understand, are imperative, because in the bankruptcy court, discharging a student loan is virtually impossible.
0: That's absolutely right, and, and it's certainly one of the big problems we have.
1: What... What
0: is the status uh, of the Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights bill? Sort of where is that in the legislative process? I know you just introduced it uh, on December 11th uh, of last year. Could you tell us, uh, you know, what committee it's in and, and, and where it's at?
1: It's in the Health, Education, and Labor uh, Committee, chaired by Senator Tom Harkin of Iowa. Uh, And it's with the other bills, which I support. Jack Reed, Mm -hmm. a senator from Rhode Island, has a bill which basically says if you are going to entice students into a lot of loans and they default, the lending institution uh, has to have some skin in the game. They have to help repay these loans. It basically means you can't walk away from it. Today, the loan money comes from the federal government or the private uh, source, Directly to the college and university, they've enticed the student in the loan and have little or no interest as to whether the student student finishes the education or actually pays it off. Well, the Reed bill, uh, Jack Reed bill, says that they ought to have some uh, skin in the game, as he says, which I think is valid.
0: Senator, the the rights looking through in, in the uh, student loan borrower bill of rights, it, it seems very difficult to argue with any of those rights. I mean, a right to know who your loan servicer is, the the right, as you said, to have your payments applied in a fair and consistent way uh, to pay off the uh, most uh, pressing loans uh, first and the highest interest rate loans first. Where I'm curious, where would the opposition come from?
1: <laughs> well, let me tell you, Professor, in my world, anybody who's making money and yeah. a lot of money and particularly off the government, has friends in high places. And so when I tried to to put some reform in the recent defense bill because of the exploitation of members of the military who are taking courses while they're in the military from fly-by-night operations like the so-called American Military University, I ended up uh, walking into a buzzsaw of opposition. There are people who are here to protect these special interests and to make sure they continue to take money away from the federal government at the expense of students and our people who are serving in the armed forces. Hard as it may be to believe, you've got to put this out in public. You've got to have a public hearing and a public debate on the floor of the House and the Senate if there's any chance to bring reform.
0: Is there anything we could have done, Senator, to have forestalled this, to have kept this uh this crisis from happening. It's it's very striking in in how many ways it seems to parallel the, the housing, bubble uh, that happened about ten years previously, uh, and then of course largely led to the huge financial crisis in 2008. Could, what could we have done to have stopped this from happening in the first place?
1: Well, first off, the uh, Republican-inspired bankruptcy reform of 2005 gave to these private lenders of student loans the same status as the government so that the loans were not dischargeable in bankruptcy except under the most extreme unusual circumstances that meant that these loans were absolutely golden uh... those who were making the loans and those who were receiving the proceeds were protected all the way you know there was an article in the wall street journal last year about a grandmother and they were basically executing on her social security payments because she signed as a guarantor on her daughter's college loan her daughter her granddaughter and her granddaughter defaulted. It just shows you how deeply this has gone. these loans are so um, Beneficial to the people who are making them, their golden loans. If we hadn't given this status in bankruptcy to these private loans, a status we don't give, for example, to people who issue auto loans, for example, or home uh-huh. mortgages. If we hadn't given them this golden status, I don't think we'd be in the mess we're in today.
0: That's that sounds very very true, and it's it's a sad thing because the. As- of course, as you know, the 2005 bill was a 541-page bill. It had a myriad of things in there, and and that was not the most notorious. I mean, there was a lot of other things that were sort of the focus of the reform, and it's it's almost like that got slipped in there. And as you are saying, it has, has really helped trigger an incredible uh, bubble. Well, I'm curious. Let's say that um, the Student Loan Borrower Bill of Rights uh, – Gets enacted, that would be wonderful. And uh, the uh, repealing the bankruptcy discharge exception for these private student loans, uh, and we get Senator Reid's bill uh, enacted, which which makes the colleges, uh, have as you said, to get a little skin in the game, which is a very interesting concept where the uh, they would have to pay fines linked to their default rates. What would you want to do next? What would be sort of the next step in the legislative agenda that? you would like to see happen, what problems would still remain, Senator?
1: Well, it does not relate to our specific discussion of bankruptcy, but the problem we face as a nation is that the cost of higher education has risen so much, so quickly, that it's beyond the reach of many working families. And that, to me, is very troubling. I look back on my circumstance. Mom and Dad had eighth grade educations. I ended up going to college and law school. I ended up with a student debt in the 1960s that my wife and I thought was impossible to pay back, $8,500, which, of course, we did pay back. But it was reachable. If you worked hard during the school year, took a summer job, you didn't go deeply in debt. Now take a look at it many of these schools, the greatest schools in our country, are charging so much for higher education it's becoming increasingly difficult for students from working families to even seriously consider going to these schools if they're accepted. So we've got to look overall at the cost of higher education, how we can make it less expensive, more competitive and give education, uh, an education or training that leads to an opportunity in life they otherwise might not have had. Uh, I think back to those golden days, it sounds like uh, I'm talking about ancient history, but back in the 1960s 50s when the University of California was virtually free for anyone who would be accepted, it was an opportunity for higher education and and the kind of thing which we expect for, for example in high schools, public high schools, it was an opportunity for colleges. Now that day may never return, but we've got to move toward affordability and accessibility for students across the board if our country is going to continue to move forward.
0: It's interesting you raise that. I was was looking uh, at what the uh, cost of uh, law school at the University of Illinois, where I teach, uh, was when I joined the faculty back in 1984, and the cost has gone up 37-fold. Uh, in those 30 years uh, since then, as you say, and that's that's unsustainable. And as you say, it, it really makes it unaffordable for a large percentage of people, unless, as you're saying, they take on crippling amount of a student debt burden. What, how can we address that? I mean, it's a sort of a larger uh, agenda. I mean, how can we go about driving down the overall cost of higher education?
1: Well, I don't want to pick on any single university. Uh, I'd say I graduated from Georgetown University. My understanding now that a year of law school there costs fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year yes. for a three-year education. So a student ends up, if they're lucky, uh, graduating with debt over a hundred thousand dollars, which is going to uh, be a major factor as to whether or not they can pursue their real ambition in law, will they be able to work as a prosecutor, a public defender, or will they have to go to the private sector quickly in order to pay off student loans? When it comes to the cost of education, I think we need to take a hard look at it. Uh, I don't want to sound like uh, some old geezer here reflecting on the past, but many law schools now are offering uh, some bells and whistles, which are pretty expensive. I look at fitness centers <laughs> Of these dining rooms, and I'm thinking to myself, that's all real nice, but does that have to be part of the cost of the education? You know, and and if we're going to build that into the cost, it becomes extremely expensive.
0: No, that that's that's absolutely right. What when your student loan borrower bill of rights? Let's go back to that for a moment. When when that's been uh, dealt with uh, directly, if you're pressed uh, to sort of identify which which of the particular provisions, which of the rights are the most important, the most critical to get in to really help address the problem? Which ones would you prioritize in sort of the legislative you know, give and take that, that of course often happens? What, what are the most important to you? I, kn- I know you want all of them, but uh, if you could pick, which, which ones would you have to pick?
1: Well, I think back uh, to uh, the man I first worked for in politics, uh, Paul Douglas, senator from Illinois. who sure. spent a career trying to pass truth in lending. And ultimately, uh, after he uh, was defeated in 1966 by Senator Percy, uh, it was enacted by Senator Proxmire truth in lending laws. Now, if you've ever sat through a real estate closing individually or as an attorney, you know what it ended up being. It was a stack of papers, which they put in front of the borrower, and they go through them page after page and try in just a few seconds to summarize what each page means. That was the net result of truth in lending. I think we've got to simplify the process Mm -hmm. and make it more understandable. I want cover pages, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, on the real estate closing. The same thing on student loans. There ought to be a basic cover page which covers the student loan borrower bill of rights and tells the student and their families who may be guaranteeing these loans, here's the deal. Here's what you're signing up for. This is what we anticipate the monthly payment will be. And incidentally, before you sign up for the private loan, you should understand you can sign up for a government loan. Lower interest rates, better terms. That, to me, is the number one most important provision and then basically to make sure that when you get into this loan as we both described here in this conversation that the money that you pay goes to pay off the most expensive loan first mm-hmm. you think that was obvious but it isn't uh, and I think those are elements that ought to be included as basic
0: when you're talking about uh, the uh, the federal government loan I mean another facet of all this of course has been the dramatic increase in the amount of uh, funding uh, for uh, uh, higher in student loans that the federal government uh, has been providing. When did that change? Uh, when did that really happen, and and why do you think it happened that the federal government decided to get so much more deeply involved in providing loan money for educational loans?
1: Well, we know it's important to the nation to have uh, an educated populace and to give young people a chance to improve their lives. Uh, it makes us a better country. Uh, companies uh, succeed they hire more employees our economy grows we lead the world and we want to continue to And it starts with education, as I think all of us can basically say. Secondly, we found out just a few years ago that taking the middleman out of the process, the banks, and saying that the government would make the loans directly meant lower interest rates and better terms for the students and their families. Now, the private loan business is still going, but it isn't like it used to be. It used to be that the banks were the middlemen on everything, and they always took a percentage and, frankly, uh, didn't basically help the families and students as much as we think we're doing with direct student loans from the government. So I think it's a good social goal, certainly a good social goal. It's money well spent when a good education uh, ends up being a better life and a better nation, and we can reduce the interest rates and the cost of that education and the borrowing by making it direct loans. One.
0: So- Curious byproduct of this, uh, and I'd be interested in your your thoughts on it. And and I see this back in uh, in in our home state when I look at what uh, has happened with the amount of state funding. There almost seems to be an aspect in which the state—I mean, I've certainly seen this at the University of Illinois—has dramatically withdrawn support from the state. institutions of higher education, recognizing perhaps that the void will be filled by federal loan money that they can then the expect the university to charge the students a much higher rate, uh, as you were describing earlier, instead of the state supporting it. The students have to pay the freight, which they do with money they've borrowed from the feds. What, that scenario concerns me that uh, the states have, in effect, been able to offload onto the federal government the responsibility for paying for education.
1: Well, my friends in Springfield who work in government, uh, either legislative or executive branches, could explain to you in more detail how we've reached this point. We're not unique. Across the country, the same things happen in many states. It reflects, I think, a number of things, and and again, I want to defer to the experts on state government finance for particulars, but there are some aspects of state uh, government which are becoming increasingly expensive. The cost of incarceration, Department Mm -hmm. of Corrections, for example, Mm -hmm. that's grown dramatically at every level of government, state and federal we're also seeing uh, increased cost of health care. Uh, that has uh, meant higher costs for Medicaid, uh, higher costs for other programs, and the states are forced to absorb uh, some of that cost as well. Uh, when you take a look at the aspects of government uh, that continue to be expensive, they're continuing to grow, and those things at the state level have forced a reordering of priorities. You put your finger on it. As long as the money is there for the student and their family to borrow from the federal government, the feeling I think in many state capitals is well, we can reduce the uh, the amount of money we're giving to a certain university, they'll be able to sustain it with higher tuition rates. Well, that creates the problems we described earlier. The overall cost of higher education beyond the reach of middle-income families, the indebtedness these students and families face as a result of their education—all of these, I think, reflect the reality of, of state financing, not just in Illinois.
0: And, and that, of course, is, as we've discussed, has really created a bubble, which is, in some ways, very much like the housing bubble was. What will happen? I mean. Bubbles burst. That's what bubbles do. And I obviously, for example, the tuition at my home law school can't go up another thirty-seven fold uh, in the next thirty years. I mean, that we'd be talking extraordinarily high amounts of money. What happens when the bubble bursts? I mean, what what do you see as the consequences of that?
1: Well, there are two, and and the first one troubles me. You know, there were certain things, uh, values that you learn from your family that are kind of built in. One of those values was buying a home is the smartest thing you can do. Stop paying rent, own a home, you're investing in your own property, your own future, it will grow in uh, value over the years, which will inure to your benefit when you sell it, uh, and it'll lead to stable neighborhoods and communities. Well, that basic premise was shaken by the last recession. When people bought more than they could afford in many instances, and it turns out the, the price of the home had been inflated, uh, and folks lost their homes, foreclosures, uh, and many of them are stuck in circumstances today uh, because that short sale just didn't cover the mortgage debt that they had incurred. It affected their credit rating. In this situation, uh, we're dealing with a similar premise continue to go to school, get the best education you can, stay in as long as you can to improve uh, your educational attainment. Well, that premise is being shaken now. To think of just a few months ago, Time magazine had a cover which basically showed a a young man walking on a campus, and it said, is college really worth it? questioning the basic premise that most of us were raised with, that college is worth it. I still think it is, incidentally. But they talked about the debt that is associated with it today. So it's shaking that premise, number one. And number two, ultimately, because it's not dischargeable in bankruptcy, this debt is with a person for a lifetime. Until they die, they're still going to hold the money. And that is going to color so many decisions in their lives in terms of where they live, whether they get married, whether they can afford a car, a home, and all the rest. So our overall economy is going to suffer if the student loan debt is not brought into control.
0: Well, Senator, I, I appreciate the uh, those thoughts, and, and I very much appreciate the uh, the time that you've uh, spent with us uh, today. Thank you so much for joining us. it's all right. it's, it's clear that you've put a lot of thought and effort uh, into this uh, very interesting um, and multifaceted uh, package uh, of legislative materials. I think I speak for everyone saying we we wish you the best of success uh, in, in the legislative process with these bills because this is clearly a crisis that needs to be fixed, uh, and and we're glad to have you leading the charge. So thank you again, Senator. Thanks
1: a lot. Good talking with you.
0: Thank you. ABI would like to thank Senator Durbin for taking the time today to explain his legislation and his thoughts on the important issue of student loan debt. For listeners that would like to further explore issues surrounding student debt, ABI will be holding a student debt symposium on May 30th at the Georgetown University Law Center. Be sure to check the ABI website for more information about that event. Thank you for listening to today's program and be sure to join us again for another edition of ABI Podcast.